0: asking you a question. Do you enjoy movies that require a rewatch? You know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about movies like Inception or The Matrix films or Interstellar, Tenet, you know, those kind of movies that like you can watch them once, but if you really want to fully understand them, you got to watch them multiple times. Anybody that's like, yeah, I love cerebral movies like that. Okay, a couple of you guys. Uh, There are a lot of you guys that are like, no, thank you. Uh, When I go to the theater, I want to crush a bowl of popcorn. I want to turn my brain off. I want a movie, not a math problem, are you with? me? All right, sassy pants. I was just asking a question. All right. I have these conversations with you all in my head. Sometimes y'all are sassy. It felt like you were sassy in that moment. Okay. Hey, one of the most famous stories of crazy faith in the entire Bible is a little bit like those movies that I just mentioned. It's so rich. It's so deep. There are so many different facets to it that there is no way that I could adequately preach it in just one sermon. This is, I couldn't do it justice. And so I had this thought this week, What if we spent the rest of our crazy faith series, the next four weeks in this one single story? What if we just kept coming back to it again and again and again, and looking at it from a different uh, perspective and seeing like just how much there is to pull out from this uh, section of the Bible. Now, when that thought first occurred to me, uh, I, I thought to myself, oh gosh, I don't know if that's a good idea because this passage, this story is only 11 verses long. So surely I think people are gonna get tired of it after two or three weeks much less before we get to four, I'm going to run out of stuff to say, to which the Holy Spirit responded, bet. And I was like, all right, well, I guess we're going to be talking about this for the next four weeks. Matthew chapter number 14, let's discuss the day that the apostle Peter and Jesus walked on water. Okay, here we go. Matthew chapter number 14, such an amazing story. We'll begin reading in verse 22. The scripture says this, Immediately after this, Jesus insisted his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake. Now, the lake they're talking about there is actually the Sea of Galilee. So calling it a lake may not be the most accurate thing in the world. Okay, Uh, cross to the other side of the Sea of Galilee while he sent the people home. After sending them home, Jesus went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. Then Peter said, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you also walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and he began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshiped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. Now, Obviously, the sizzle in this story is like the fact that Peter had enough audacity to ask Jesus to walk on the water. And then he had enough faith to actually step out of the boat and go walking across the waves, and then he lost his faith, lost his focus, and suddenly he's sinking. There's a lot of really interesting stuff going on in the story, but there is so much more to it than simply Peter getting out of the boat and walking on the water. We'll get there. We're gonna spend a whole week talking about that. But there is so much truth and so many rich things, even at the very beginning of this story, before they ever get out on the water, that I want to focus on some of those more overlooked portions of this story, okay? Today, I want to focus on the preparation that went into this crazy faith miracle. Our word for the day is preparation. We're going to look at the preparation that went into the crazy faith miracle. So our word for the day is? Okay, you guys are better than the first service. First service I asked that question to, my wife was the only one that answered, and I was like, boy, it's going to be a long morning. So thank you guys for tracking with me. Preparation is our word. The passage starts by saying this. I want to highlight it here on the screen for you. The passage starts by saying immediately after this, and then it goes on with the story. Now, anytime you read a statement like this in the Bible, it's always a good idea to see what it's referring to. To read the context is the word that we use. Context is what comes before or what comes after a particular story. Context helps to fill in some gaps, some information. If you're ever struggling to read a passage or understand what it's saying, then reading what comes before or what comes after is often incredibly helpful. So because this passage starts by saying immediately after this, we should probably just pause for a minute and go back and look at what it said happened immediately before that. Are you with me? Because it says immediately after, we should go immediately before. You guys, I paid tens of thousands of dollars. I went to seminary for several years to learn how to teach you guys this stuff. This is deep Bible study today, okay? It says immediately after this, so let's look at what happened immediately before this. Earlier in the chapter, Jesus received some very heartbreaking news. He learned that his cousin, a guy named John, we know him as John the Baptist, his cousin who he had grown up with, they spent their entire childhood together. And and the same guy who had baptized Jesus in the Jordan River whenever he was starting his public ministry, he got news at the beginning of Matthew chapter number 14 that his cousin John had been murdered, put to death, executed, actually beheaded by the governor of their province like, as you can imagine, like, I mean, this is, this was devastating news for Jesus. What, John? My beloved friend, my cousin, my ministry partner is dead. He's been put to death. And so the Bible says when he gets this news, Jesus actually tries to withdraw. He tries to leave behind the disciples, leave behind the crowds that he'd been doing ministry among. And he tried to go to a private place so he could pray and he could process. The Bible says he went out into a wilderness area so he could have some alone time to deal with this news that he had just received. However, the people who lived in that region were like, Jesus is here? I didn't think he was gonna come to our neck of the woods. I'm gonna go listen to him teach. And so they, they found out where he was. They went and found him out in the wilderness. And before you know it, there are thousands of people that are gathered around him demanding, essentially, that he would teach and preach and perform miracles. Now, instead of Jesus saying like, guys, can I just have a day, please? I just need some time. I need some me time. Instead of doing that, we read that Jesus sets aside his grief. He he actually goes straight to ministry and he spends an entire day teaching and, and healing and ministering to people, even in the middle of his grief. It's this incredible story. The end of the day comes and people are hungry. Somebody's like, hey, we haven't had anything to eat since like this morning when we first showed up. And because Jesus doesn't want to send people away spiritually full, but physically empty, the Bible says that he decides he's going to provide some food for them. So he finds a little boy who has a filet of fish sandwich in the crowd. He blesses it. He multiplies it. And more than five, there are 5,000 men plus the women and children, and they are are all fed off of this one number nine combo meal, you guys. Like, it was an incredible <laughs> miracle. And it was immediately after this, That we read here in verse 22, Jesus sends the disciples to the other side of the lake. Now, this context is going to be incredibly important. We're going to come back. I wasn't just chasing a rabbit trail here. There's a reason we talked about everything Jesus was going through. We'll get there in just a minute. So in verse 22, we read immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back in the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. Now, this detail is pretty easy to overlook, but if you pause here for even just a moment, it becomes apparent that Jesus was the one who sent his disciples into the storm. Do you see, you see that? Are you with me? He's the one that's responsible for sending them into the storm. Now, the text doesn't tell us whether God created this storm in the moment to teach the disciples something, or if it was a storm that just happened to be there, and it's like, oh, here's a good learning opportunity. We don't really know. Like in the book of Jonah, the Bible says the storm that came up while Jonah was on the sea, God caused it so he could get a hold of that knucklehead's attention, all right? But we don't know in this one. It could have been that God caused it. It could have been that God just decided to use it. In the end, it doesn't matter. Jesus knew the storm was coming and he still sent the disciples into it anyway. Please don't miss what I'm about to say. It's gonna be key to understanding everything this week, actually this month. The disciples obeyed Jesus and they still found themselves in the middle of a life-threatening storm. Do you realize that God never promised any of us a life free from storms? He never promised any of us that we would go through life and not have difficult seasons. It's like we have this sense. It's like, oh, well, I've come to God. I've given my life to him. His job is to protect me and make life easy. I don't know where you got that from because he never says such a thing. As a pastor, I hear people all the time saying like, why is God allowing this horrible thing to happen in my life? I've been trying to do everything right. I'm going to church. I'm saying no to sin. I'm doing everything I can. So why does this stuff happen to me? but God never promised any of us a life free from storms. In fact, he actually promises that storms will come into your life whether you're living right or you're living wrong. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter number six, Jesus says this, God causes the rain to fall on the righteous and the wicked. There are gonna be bad days if you live a wicked life. And guess what? There are gonna be bad days that come if you live a righteous life. God promised no one, a life free of these kinds of storms. Just because you're in a storm doesn't mean that you've done wrong or even that life is going wrong, okay? The disciples were doing exactly what Jesus told them to do and yet here they are, soaking wet, Thunder booming overhead, lightning crashing all around them, waves breaking over the boat and the very real threat that they're going to sink in the middle of the sea. I told you a moment ago, this wasn't like a little cute Alberta pond, okay? Like this was a huge and deep body of water, so much so that it's actually referred to as a sea. This was hundreds, thousands of feet deep. This was a major squall that they found themselves in, in this little tiny boat. So, why would Jesus send them into such a difficult situation? Is he uncaring? Is he mean? Why would he send the disciples directly into the path of a storm? Well, I think we have to recognize that the storm always has a purpose. The storm always has a purpose. Look, sometimes the source of the storm is God Himself. God causes a storm. He sends it your way because there is something that He wants to accomplish in your life. Sometimes a storm is your own dang fault, okay? I'm just going to be real for a moment. Sometimes we are dumb. We do dumb things. We get ourselves into a mess of trouble. Sometimes we are the ones who are responsible for the storm. But regardless, every storm is either God sent or God used. Every storm is either God sent or it's something that God will use. The storm always has a purpose. So when a storm hits in life, a wise person will ask, what is God trying to teach? Or what is God trying to do through this storm? Now, look, I'm not gonna pretend like storms are gonna be easy, okay? It, they're hard, they're difficult. Do you realize the disciples were actually, they were under the threat of dying. This was so, such a, a crazy and chaotic circumstance that if they had fallen into the water, they likely would have died. This was a very real threat to them. Storms are not easy or enjoyable, but hear me now, at some point, every storm will pass. Every storm will come up, It'll rage, and then eventually it'll fade away, okay? No storm lasts forever. So when the storm has ended, we want to be closer to Jesus than we were when the storm started. Like, we're going to spend a whole week talking about this because in the end, like, the storm always has a purpose. Spoiler alert, the purpose is always to bring you closer to God. That's the purpose, okay? So we want to go through a storm and end up closer to God than we were before we entered the storm. It's such a tragedy. It's one of my greatest frustrations as a pastor to see so many people go through really harsh storms in life. They don't learn a doggone thing in the process. And once the storm fades, the people are no better equipped to deal with the next storm that's certain to come along. The storm has a purpose. There's a reason that God has sent it, something he wants you to know or learn or to grow through. So what if you started to look at your storms as something to learn from instead of something to run from? We we sense a storm coming up and we're like hiding and hunkering down and we're trying to just survive and endure the storm until it finally goes away. But what if God wants you to learn from this season that you're in? What if the storm that's raging all around you is not meant to sink you? It is designed to teach you, to mature you, to prepare you for what's going to happen when you get through the storm and to the other side of the lake. If you want to, to, if you want to have Jesus show up and like rebuke the storms in your life, then there needs to be a storm for him to rebuke, right? There's a reason that you go through the things that you do. If, if Peter was going to walk out of the water, then he had to take the risk to get out of the boat. The storms always have a purpose. The purpose is sent by God, and the purpose is always good. Besides... This little storm, little storm, this big storm that the disciples go through here in Matthew chapter number 14, it, although it seems so dangerous in the moment, it actually becomes the setting for one of the greatest victories that they're going to experience in their lives. Like, I, I just have to imagine like the disciples were like middle age and older and they're still like, yo, you remember that time we walked on the water? That was insane. This is the greatest moment of Peter's life in a lot of ways. But it came about in the middle of a storm that they were certain was going to kill them. So maybe we should learn from the storms instead of always trying to run from the storms. There are all these other like cool little hints and details about this in the story. Did you notice back in, uh, in verse 26, like a little bit later in the story, when the disciples are in the boat and they're rowing like crazy trying to get to shore and the Bible says that Jesus comes walking on the water, they didn't recognize him at first. Instead, they thought he was a, a ghost. They're like, ah, it's a ghost, Right? But check this now, the thing that they thought was a ghost at first, they later called God. At the end of the story, they're like, wow, truly you are the son of God. You're God incarnate. So they went from being afraid of it to understanding that they were blessed by it. There are storms that you are going through in your life right now. And on this side of it, you're like, oh, it's a ghost. It's something to be terrified of. It's an attack. It's a burden. It's a danger to me. But with a little time and perspective, you're going to look back and you're going to say, oh, I see the hand of God all over that thing. The thing, that you're so, the thing that keeps you awake at night right now, the thing that you weep over, the thing that you struggle and stress over, it is so possible that a month from now, a year from now, a decade from now, you're gonna be talking about that story not as the greatest danger you ever faced, but instead the greatest blessing that you ever experienced. The storm always has a purpose. So maybe we need to shift our perspective a little bit, like the disciples. Without the storm, Peter wouldn't have gotten out of the boat. Without the death of John the Baptist, Jesus would not have fed 5,000 people miraculously. We can go back to the Old Testament because why not? Without the Egyptian army, there would be no Red Sea deliverance. Without the famine in the wilderness, there would be no manna from heaven. Hey, without the crucifixion, there would be no resurrection. The storm has a purpose. And the purpose is always good. My friends, God's greatest miracles come out of our most difficult seasons. Infidelity Infertility, bankruptcy, breakup, addiction, arrest, diagnosis, doubt. Whether the storm is your fault or not, it has a purpose. Every single one of these storms is an opportunity for God to show up and to show off his power in your life. So what I want to do is I want to pause for just a moment. And I want to give you a second to like just between you and God to like acknowledge the storm that you're facing and then to ask God to shift your perspective on it, not to be something to hide from or simply to endure, but something to learn and to grow from, to see it as a blessing, something that God can use to radically transform your life. So I'm going to invite you, bow your head, close your eyes right where you're at. Don't get excited. I'm not ending the message we're only about halfway done. But I wanna give you this chance to acknowledge the storm and then ask God to give you proper perspective on it. Oh God, I'm praying that you would reveal the purpose in the storm that we're going through. God, I'm praying that you would meet us in our fear, meet us in our danger, meet us in our lack of faith and show up powerfully demonstrate that you are God over all circumstances and situations and that we can trust you no matter how raging life is around us. I'm praying, God, that we would see things the way that Jesus did and the way that the disciples eventually did, that our storms will pass and in the end we will see the goodness of the Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we skip ahead now into verse 23, the next verse, and the the Bible says, after sending them home, after sending the crowd away, Jesus went up into the hills by himself to pray, and night fell while he was there alone. So remember, this is like precisely what Jesus had tried to do the day before when he heard that his cousin John the Baptist had died, and I don't think that we should ignore the fact that the physical storm on the Sea of Galilee hit at the same time that Jesus was going through a personal storm with his family. There are two storms that are happening in this story. And I take a great deal of encouragement from this. There are a lot of pieces of encouragement that I pull out of this. I mean, first is this. It's really easy for me to imagine like the disciples going through a storm because of course there are people just like me and hard times come in life. Yeah, of course they're going to go through a storm. But I often don't consider the fact that Jesus went through a lot of storms in his life as well. He's going through one right now. I think about Jesus as being like God in the flesh, right? He's omnipotent. He's all powerful. He's all knowing. When the uh, wind and the waves are like you know raging all around him, he rebukes him. He's like, not right now. And the storm goes away. So it's like Jesus surely never went through a storm, right? Because he has the power to turn off any storm. Except when you read his life, you find he went through a lot of storms. There was a lot of heartache, a lot of difficulty, a lot of grief that Jesus uh, experienced in his life. And I don't know why, but that really does encourage me. It helps me to know that I have a Savior that understands what it's like to be buffeted by life's storms. It's really in line with what we read in Hebrews chapter number 4, verse 15. Our high priest, the scripture says, high priest is a reference to Jesus. Our high priest understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings that we do, yet he did not sin. We have a savior that knows what it's like to be in a storm. The second piece of encouragement that I take from it is this double storm, the the personal storm that Jesus is experiencing and the physical storm that the disciples are going through. It's a good reminder that difficult situations in life don't wait their turn. Like, have you ever noticed this? It's like you go through one storm, you have a tough season, and it's not like the other storms and seasons are like, oh, she's going through a hard time right now. I'll wait. I'll come back later. No, it's like storm, 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 storm. When we lived in Florida, we had to worry about hurricanes all the time, okay? Hurricanes are like these huge, massive storms. They're dangerous. They can be deadly. They're also kind of exciting. But anyway, that's another story for a different day. There'd be these storms and we would have storm watch parties and all this sort of stuff. But every so often, there would be a hurricane out in the Atlantic somewhere. And that hurricane would be like, you know what, I'm kind of lonely. I want another hurricane friend. And so there'd be a second hurricane that showed up. And every once in a while, they would get together and merge into one gigantic hurricane. And then super hurricane would bear down on our city. And we're like, this isn't fair. We were already dealing with one. Now we've got a super storm that's coming. But that's how life is, isn't it? You can get hit by storm after storm after storm. And you can also get hit by storm, 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 storm all at once. When it rains, it often pours. And so I take a little bit of encouragement knowing that like hey, the Bible is honest. Sometimes life is hard. Sometimes there are things that happen. And in Jesus' situation in particular, he's battling his own difficulty, his own grief, his own like, you know, processing of the loss of his his cousin and one of his very good friends. And then he's got to pause that and go feed 5,000 strangers just because they're hungry? And then he's like, oh, finally, I get to deal with this. And the disciples are like, save us. He's like, here we go again. I think every mom in the room can relate to Jesus in this moment. It's just like, can I please have a day where there isn't somebody else that needs me to come and save and rescue them? Storms come, and they don't always wait their turn. But you know, there's one more interesting fact that this passage highlights, and and this is where I wanna spend the rest of our time today. Uh, It's the fact that uh, Jesus, the Bible specifically tells us, Jesus went by himself to pray. He finally got his alone time, okay? And certainly it makes sense that Jesus needed to get away, to process and to pray through the grief of losing his family members, certainly. But I actually think there's more going on to it than that. Jesus was not just overwhelmed in the moment and he was like, ooh, I just need to decompress in the mountains, okay? No, I actually believe that this, going away to pray, was Jesus' way of preparing for what was to come on the Sea of Galilee. Remember, our word for today is... Prepare. Preparation. I think Jesus in this moment is preparing for the miracle that's about to come. Um, I think that this time that Jesus spent in prayer in verse 22, or 23 rather, this is the thing that allowed Peter to walk on water in, in later verses. We say like, well, Peter walked on water because he had faith. Peter walked on water because he asked the question. Peter walked on water because he got out of the boat. Except... Peter's imperfect faith actually got him in more trouble when you think about it. Yes, he certainly had the gumption to ask Jesus to walk on water. But once he gets out of the water, he takes his eyes off of Jesus. Suddenly he's sinking and drowning. All the other disciples are, yeah, they're still in the storm, but at least they're in the safety of the boat. They're like, dang, I'm glad I didn't get out on the water. Peter's over there drowning. And it was Jesus' faith, Jesus' presence, Jesus' preparation, that allowed Peter to be rescued, that allowed the storm to stop, that allowed the rest of the the disciples to get across the lake again. It was this time and preparation that Jesus gave himself to that enabled every good thing that ends up happening in the rest of this story. Peter wouldn't have walked on the water without Jesus spending time praying for him. I think this is similar. There's another time where Jesus is talking to Peter and he's like, Peter, Peter, Peter. Satan has desired to have you, so he can sift you like wheat. He's going to test you, boy, and I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. The Bible doesn't tell us what Jesus was praying for when he went to the wilderness to pray in verse 23. I'm sure he prayed for the family of John, his aunt Elizabeth, and you know, all those different things, but hey, I think it's also likely that he prayed for the disciples. Lord, they're about to go through it. Peter's going to have an opportunity. He can choose to ask for something that is crazy. I'm praying that he'll do it. I'm praying that his faith won't fail. I think his preparation time is what enabled the miracles to happen. Now, I'm going to go a step further. Some of you guys are going to write me off as a heretic, but stay with me, okay? I think it was actually this time of preparation that enabled Jesus to walk on the water. In this story, because you realize, like, it's no more miraculous for Peter to walk on the water than it was Jesus. Like, they were both human; they had bodies; they obeyed the laws of physics. And so, the fact that Jesus walked on the water was every bit as miraculous as what Peter did. We have this tendency to say, "Well, Jesus was like God in a body; he's the Son of God in the flesh, right? So he has like all knowledge, and he's got power. He can rebuke the wind and the waves, and he knows what people are thinking. And he can multiply, you know, fish sandwiches. He can do all these things. So of course, he can walk on the water. I understand that." But, you know, Jesus was also fully human. And in his humanity, he was subject to the same limitations that every single one of us was. Do you know that Jesus got tired? Jesus got hungry. Jesus was sad. He had all of the emotions and limitations that we do. And so it's easy to think, well, he's Superman. He can walk on water. But I think the miracles that he performed actually flowed out of his preparation time with God. If you look throughout Jesus' life and ministry, you'll discover that prior to the most significant moments of ministry, he would withdraw and he would spend time alone in prayer and preparation with God. So he gets baptized by his cousin John in Matthew chapter number three. Then we read in Matthew four, before he goes to preach his first sermon and call the first disciples, he withdraws into the wilderness for 40 days to pray and to fast, to get ready for the public ministry that's about to come. Think about the night of his crucifixion. He knows what's coming. He knows he's about to be executed, crucified on a cross. And so what does he do? He goes into the garden of Gethsemane and he spends the entire night praying. He's about to walk on the water. He's about to enable his disciples to walk on water. So what does he do? He goes and he prepares. He prays. He gets ready. So what are we supposed to learn from this? Well, perhaps my ability to endure storms tomorrow is tied to my willingness to encounter God today. Like, I, I, want, I want to do miraculous things, I want to overcome the storm, I want to walk on water and all that sort of stuff. But maybe the, the way that that's going to come about is if I spend time preparing for that moment when life is calm. Before the storm hits, before I'm sinking or, or freaking out about things that are happening, if I were to invest in my relationship with God, if I were to spend time in prayer and preparation with him, I might actually see some of those miracles that, that we're talking about. There's a reason that in Luke 5:16 we're told that Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness to pray. We want to see miracles, but we don't want to spend time with God. And in Jesus' life and ministry, those things are intertwined. OK, now, like I'm not saying Jesus was like a video game character and uh, he had to fill his manometer before he could execute special attacks and stuff like that. But if nothing else, Jesus is setting an example for us that if we want to see genuine miracles happen, they're going to happen on the back of preparation, fellowship, closeness with the father. Perhaps my ability to endure storms tomorrow is tied to my willingness to encounter God today. It can be so easy. Like when you're, when you're in the boat and the, the storm is, is thrashing around you and the waves are crashing in, it can be so easy to have crazy faith then. Like what, what other choice do you have? You're like, we're gonna die. God, you gotta show up. It's easy to have crazy faith then. But I think what we're supposed to see in the example of Christ is that like crazy faith begins before the storm ever starts. Like, you can begin to prepare for the miracle that you hope to see before the storm ever shows up. When the forecast still looks clear, you can prepare. While the sun is still shining, you can prepare. When you start to notice clouds gathering in the sky, it's not too late to go spend some time with God and prepare for the miracle that you hope is coming. When the first raindrops fall, you're not like, well, it's too late. I should have prepared. No, prepare. Get involved. Go seek the face of God. That is where the miracles are actually found. Every wonderful thing that will come about in this story is tied to Jesus' willingness to withdraw, to pray, to prepare himself for what was about to come. Hey, speaking of which, notice that Peter was the beneficiary of Jesus' preparation. Peter didn't do any preparing at all. We, we have no sense that he was praying. We're not told that when Jesus is like, y'all go ahead, I'm going to stay here and pray. He's like, oh, I want to pray with you, Jesus. I want to hear you pray. And I want to pray for you, master. He didn't We don't have any sense of that. He got in the boat, he's rowing like mad, trying to get to the other side and not drown. And yet he becomes the beneficiary of the preparation, the prayer time that Jesus had spent. I think that should be an encouragement for those of you guys who are burdened for your family members, you know? Like you've got a a child or a grandchild, you got a brother or sister, a friend, in your life and and you're watching them and they're just rowing into trouble. You're like, I see where you're headed. What are you doing? There's a huge storm coming. Don't you understand the place you're headed to is gonna be bad for you. That relationship is no good. Your financial choices are really gonna ruin you. I wish you would listen. And you can think to yourself, well, what can I do? They're already in the boat. They're already rowing that way. How can I do anything for them? But Peter was the beneficiary of Jesus' preparation. And I just believe that we can actually do some preparation on other people's behalf. We can pray for others and they might experience the benefit. They might experience the miracle simply because we were willing to intercede when they didn't think about it at all. There is power in praying mamas. There is power in a church that is willing to intercede for people who have needs. There is power when we will prepare even when other people won't. You can be the one who prepares a miracle for somebody else to experience. Man, I love that. That is super challenging, super encouraging to me. Our word for today is prepare, preparation. It's okay, both of them are right. We actually have this really cool example of preparation that's going on right now. You guys didn't even know this was happening, but right about here in the room directly above us, uh, our elementary kids are up there right now and they are putting together Operation Christmas Child shoe boxes. In fact, our Connect kids are going to provide 50 shoe boxes full of Christmas gifts for needy children around the world. Like that's so good, you guys. They are preparing today some other little kid's miracle in the future. You know, the way this all works is like we pack the shoeboxes, we give them to to Samaritan's Purse, they put them on planes, they ship them around the world, and they put them in um, ships and stuff. But like the the gifts often don't get delivered until May or April or something like that the next year. And so our kids are preparing today the miracle that some other little kid is going to experience tomorrow. Do you understand this box that you are looking at right now, six, eight months from now, some kid in South America is going to open this box and their face is going to look like the faces of the kids that you see on screen. And all of that is made possible by your children, our Connect Kids volunteers, who are upstairs right now preparing the miracle that somebody else is going to get in the months to come. Man, that's so good, you guys. In fact, I wanna remind you that um, all of our Operation Christmas Child shoe boxes, they need to be turned in by next week, okay? Next Sunday is the deadline. So some of you have taken boxes. It's not too late if you wanna take one. Like, we have at least 50. I don't know if our adults are gonna provide that many, but you know what? Like, let's see if we can do an even hundred. Why not? So there are shoe boxes that are out there, empty ones. You take them. There's a list in there of the sort of stuff that you can fill them with and then bring it back next Sunday. And we'll make sure that it gets uh, delivered in the future. And there's another opportunity that you can help us with. We need some volunteers on the 26th and December 2nd to go to the uh, Samaritan's Purse Warehouse. And these are already packed, but they need to be sorted. They need to be um, sectioned off and getting ready to ship and all that stuff. And so we've got some opportunities to go and volunteer for an hour or two. If you're interested in doing that, I'll be there. I hope that I'll see you there too. It's super easy work and we'll have a lot of fun doing it. Just go to our website, connectcalgary.ca slash groups and then sign up for the Connect Community Outreach Group that's led by Lori Fuller and we'll get you all the details, okay? Like this is another easy way for us to serve people. Our kids are preparing for miracles. We can help prepare for the miracles of of others as well, all right? Let me end the message today. By giving you some tangible ways that you can prepare for the miracle, like maybe you're like, I, I really I want a miracle. I'm hoping God shows up. I've got this storm. I've got this difficulty. I'm really waiting on God to show up. Maybe, just maybe, God doesn't want us to wait on the miracle. God wants us to prepare for the miracle, not to waste the season but instead to prepare during the waiting season. So I wanna give you a couple of tangible ways that you can prepare for the miracle at the beginning of our crazy faith series. So the first thing I'll encourage you to do is go right on the crazy faith wall before you leave today. If you go outside of the auditorium and you make a left, uh, instead of making a right, you'll run right into the crazy faith wall. It's a it's a spot where for the last week, people have been writing the things that they're believing God for. And I'm, I'm gonna challenge you to go out there, claim a square. You can put it way down here in the corner so nobody has to see it. That's that's fine. And write on there, the things that you're facing, the things that you're believing God for healing, salvation, provision, th- to be free of debt, to find your boo. I don't know what it is, but like, go write it down and write your request, make it bold, make it specific. Don't be afraid or embarrassed about the things that you're asking for. There is a power behind specificity. When When Peter was drowning, he wasn't like, Jesus! Give me faith to swim. Jesus, teach me how to swim. He was just like, save me. He knew what he needed in the moment. You know what you need in the moment. Don't be afraid to ask for it. Put it on the wall. And I'm telling you, God may honor that willingness, that boldness to write it on the wall. He might actually honor it by providing the miracle because you were willing to prepare for it. I just believe that's gonna happen. I'm gonna tell you a quick story. I didn't get to tell the first service this story, but it's a good one. After the service, first hour, I walk out into the lobby and there's a guy in our church and he is bawling his eyes out. He's normally kind of a manly dude, you know? So I'm like, bro, what is going on with you? I mean, I I knew I preached good, but I didn't think it was that good. And uh, he said, okay, I have to tell you this story. You were talking about the crazy faith wall and I walked out and God told me, I have not, he said, I haven't written anything on the wall. I haven't read anything on the wall. He said, God told me somebody put a specific need on that wall and it was my job to meet it. Okay, and the thing was like, really random like i'm not going to share what it is but it was very random it's like not like uh you know oh well i'm sure nine people wrote that on their wall it was very specific and he said i went over there thinking okay there's no way this is going to be on the wall and he said i swear to god somebody wrote on the wall the exact thing that god said was going to be on the wall and i'm supposed to meet that need and so he was like what do i do So we're gonna contact him on Tuesday and we're gonna show him how he can help meet those needs that are written on the wall. Like this is the the power of, of preparing getting ready for the miracle that's going to come. Listen, Super Sunday, November 27th is going to be a day full of miracles, but the miracles are going to happen on the back of preparation on Sundays like today and weeks like the the ones that are coming up during this season. So please go out. Like last week, there were some of you guys and you walked out and you're like, oh, it's kind of chaotic and crazy. There's a lot of people over there. I'll come back next week and I'll write on the wall. Well, now it's next week. This is your turn to go write on the wall. If you haven't written on the wall, go. If you got to throw some elbows, if you got to say, excuse me, I need to get to my square, do it write something on the wall. This is an act of faith, obedience, and preparation that may just lead to the breakthrough that you're waiting for. Second thing I'll tell you to do, and you know this, um, our Crazy Faith series builds towards an offering. We, we take the, the third Sunday, basically, of this month, and we are going to, um, the second Sunday, actually. Is that right? It's the next Sunday? No, wait, the 20th, third Sunday of the month. Sorry, I'm getting confused in the moment. Third Sunday of the month. We're going to take up an offering. Every dollar that comes in during that service, we are going to take it. And I'm going to go to the Toyota dealership and I'm going to buy myself a fancy truck, you guys. Woo! I want to say thank you in advance for the miracle y'all about to provide for me. I am going to get that Tacoma TRD I've been waiting on. Okay, sarcasm. If you're new here, it's a joke. The Crazy Faith Offering, we, we take up whatever we receive in the Crazy Faith Offering, we give every single dollar of it away. We don't keep any of it. Last year, in one Sunday, our church gave $40,000 in the crazy faith offering. And we gave it to people in need. We gave it to to charities and nonprofits that were struggling in the season. We blessed some churches that needed some help to get to the other side of the storm that they were going through. It was incredible, and can I tell you something? We fully believe that this year is going to be even bigger than it was last year. Why? Cuz last year was brand new. Some of you guys were hesitant because you're like, "Uh, I don't really understand what's going on here. And are you really giving it all away? Now, you know, you know that we do give away every single dollar. And so I believe some of you guys are like, yeah, I know what I gave last year, but I'm going to give more this time because I know it's selfless. I'm going to, we're going to give it away. We're going to bless some people that are in need. And so I'm going to encourage you to begin praying even now for what you might give in the offering. Don't set a number yourself. Let God set a number for you. That's what we're doing. We're saying, God, what do you want us to give? And he gave us a number and I'm like, nah, it's a little too much, God. Let's give a little less. And God's like, I thought you were asking me what number. So we're gonna do what he asked us to do. And I'm gonna challenge you to do the same thing, okay? This is a way that we get to keep our faith from being greedy because we're talking about God providing miracles and God meeting our needs and God calming the storms in our lives and all those different things. But if we're not careful, we can take, 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 take. our faith can become selfish. We can believe that God exists to give us the things that we want in life, but that's not true. Jesus said this, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Both are fun you'll discover there's great joy in giving and in receiving. And so we're going to both give and receive in this season. So I'm going to challenge you to prepare even now for how God might want you to participate in the crazy faith offering. Hey, I've got to wrap it up. This is only week one. Like we got through two verses. There's uh, nine or 10 more to go. This this series, I promise you, it's just going to be so good. There's so much good stuff to come out of here. What I want to do is I want to close by praying for you. And I want to pray for those of you guys that are in the middle of a storm, and you're battling, and you're striving, and you're rowing, and you're not sure you're making any progress. And I'm just praying that you'll see Jesus walking towards you this morning, striding towards you on the water, saying, I'm coming for you. I've got you. Everything's going to be okay.